Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour two. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome. How are you? It's, well, I just told you the phone number. Sorry, I'm texting while talking. Very bad habit. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I, I cooked a lot of stuff this weekend and I'm friends are texting me. They've seen on Instagram the pictures and they want details. So one day, maybe I guess I'll have to have a cookbook or some such. Um, we'll get there. But today, this time, we've got to talk about something rather important that is going to otherwise get overlooked. We are at the anniversary of our surrender in Afghanistan. And we actually need to discuss this. It is the defining moment of Joe Biden's presidency. Biden's polling, as I've been telling you guys this was going to happen, and it has absolutely happened. He's rebounded in the polling uh, this time of year, as I've, I've as noted repeatedly and ad nauseum. Uh, the, the Democrats tend to do good in the polling at this time of year, and things won't really settle down, and, and you won't really get a sense of stuff until late September when a lot of pollsters switch to the likely voter models and the GOP is more engaged uh, and then you'll see a, a surge. I mean, some of the polling that's out there right now, though, is really good. Uh, there's a Phillips Academy, or a Mandover, Massachusetts, or New Hampshire, wherever poll. I don't know that it's a good poll, but it's strikingly similar to a lot of other polling, private polling I've seen, where Republicans in Georgia are a little more confident that Herschel Walker might be able to win. And this Phillips Academy polling which again, I, I, I don't know anything about them. I don't know how good they are, but it, it shows what Republicans are seeing in their own polling about Walker. Georgia also has Brian Kemp uh, well out uh, ahead of Stacey Avery for like seven or eight points. In Texas, Dallas Morning News has Greg Abbott up 10 at 51% over Beto O'Rourke. And, and again, these are not likely voter polls. These are registered voter polls, and registered voter polls skew to the Democrats and have for some time. Uh, the reason that uh, registered voter polls skew, and I'm, and I'm sorry, the um, the Dallas Morning News poll is likely voters, not registered voters, uh, and it's, it's a 10-point lead. Uh, the University of Texas, Texas Tribune, has a registered voter poll, and he's got to have it at a six-point lead. The likely voter polls have a bigger, bigger margin for Abbott. Now, I don't know the details of the um, poll that has uh, from Phillips Academy or wherever. I, I, I've never known them to have a track record or to be pollsters. I saw their name and uh, was immediately dismissive of it, except the numbers show what I'm seeing from private polling conducted in Georgia. But what I'm also seeing is that the likely voter polling is beginning the shift towards the GOP. Many pollsters won't completely make that shift until the end of September. Republicans are out. They're on vacation. They're getting kids back to school or or. Uh, focusing on Labor Day, and then suddenly they'll engage. But even with a rebound for Democrats right now, even with a slight rebound for Joe Biden, so for example, in the Real Clear Politics polling average, Joe Biden uh, is at 40.3%. He had been as low as 36.8%. He's now back up to 40.3%. 
Rasmussen, interestingly enough, using a likely voter poll, has the Republicans up three on the generic ballot for Congress and actually has the president doing better than any other pollster in America right now. He's at 44%. That's the highest polling the president has seen. Still not good, but higher than what anyone else has seen. But he's still negative. And that crossover in the polling happened at this time last year. In fact, we can go back in the Real Clear Politics polling average. And on this day, a year ago, it was 50 approved, 46% disapprove. Go just five days later. And it was disapproved 48, approved 47. And he has never been above water since. He's just continued to decline. And it has everything to do with his withdrawal from Afghanistan and his just uh, convincing case that we were beyond COVID and yet he just got it. It is a failure of expectations, but also there's a study in arrogance. We now know a year later that all of Joe Biden's generals, all of his intelligence operatives and officers, and many of the Western world's leaders told him, do not leave Afghanistan. To give you the full picture, because the media never really did do a good job of it, and a lot of people who are isolationists painted a picture that wasn't true, there were only about 2,000 Americans in Afghanistan. It had been uh, about two years since an American lost his life in Afghanistan. And the Afghans had pushed the Taliban to the outer reaches of the nation. It was the Afghans who were doing the fighting. It was the Afghans who were doing the dying. It was a great situation and gave the United States a military outpost very close to China and to a part of the world that needs a military presence from the United States. It gave the United States a hub by which we could operate in that part of the world. But Biden was very dogmatic and insistent, despite all the advice to the contrary, that we needed to get out of Afghanistan. And so we did, because the president ordered it. When Donald Trump ordered the same thing, and this is what the left says, Trump was going to do the same thing, Trump was going to do the same thing, except he never did. He never did. The United States government has evacuated more than 800 American citizens from Afghanistan since the Taliban swept to power and U.S. troops officially left the country last August, according to data provided to House Republican investigators and the State Department. The figure, which hasn't been previously reported, highlights the ongoing nature of the efforts to make contact with and evacuate hundreds of Americans who were unable to leave Afghanistan as the U.S. military rapidly withdrew from the country last summer. The data also underscores that hundreds more Americans were left behind than previously known. A State Department spokesperson confirmed the number of evacuated American citizens and added that at least 600 legal permanent residents to the U.S. have also been evacuated. Two weeks after the last U.S. plane left Kabul on August 30, 2021, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken told lawmakers there were only 100 American citizens left in Afghanistan who wanted to leave. 
emphasizing that it was a snapshot in time. But by February of 2022, 479 Americans had been evacuated. Now, an investigation by the House Foreign Affairs Committee's Republican staff have found 800 Americans were rescued. It could be closer to 1,000, and there are still Americans trying to leave that country. A year later, we still have Americans stuck in Afghanistan. Not only do we still have Americans stuck in Afghanistan, and by the way, it's notable there were Americans who had gone to Afghanistan and were staying there because the country was supposedly so unstable. And yet, with only 2,000 American soldiers in the country, we were able to stabilize the country and help prop up an, an Afghan force that was able to repel the Taliban and keep Kabul safe. And now people are fleeing. For two years, Americans didn't die in Afghanistan. And then Biden's decision got 13 Americans killed. There are still Americans there. The Taliban has allowed Al-Qaeda to come back in and set up a terror shop again. They've been able to double down, hunker down, bunker down, um, build up fortifications to make it harder for us to go back in. They took over our airbase. They took our weapons to use against us in the future. This is what happened. Now, the United States under the Biden administration wants to continue working on a deal with Iran. Iran, by the way, has now, we didn't know, given safe haven to the new leadership of Al-Qaeda. They used to be opposed and now they're not. They're working collaboratively together. Intel officials have told Vice News' Hadi Matar uh, had been in contact with members of Iran's Revolutionary Guard. Haidem Matar is the man who attacked Salman Rushdie last week. There's no evidence Iran was involved in the attack, but the 24-year-old had been in direct contact with members of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Iran continues to fund terrorism around the world. This is really the most bizarre thing. The United States is afraid of dealing aggressively with China because we want them to deal with us on climate change, but they're not afraid to try to re-engage the Iranians who want nuclear weapons, the destruction of Israel in the United States, have given safe haven to Al-Qaeda, and have organized terror operations around the world. This is just willful naivete. This is actually undermining American national sovereignty. And I really do, I've got a prevailing theory about the way the left sees the world these days. And part of it, there is a strain of isolationism on the right that itself is not good. But they have something in common, and, and really it's pervasive on the left. The left views the United States as a threat. The left's foreign policy is that the world would be more stable if the United States had less of a presence on the world stage. And many of them privately are okay with China being dominant. So if they can destabilize American foreign policy, they can allow China the stability with which to rise. 
I really do think this is part of the left. And by the way, there's a strain of it on the right and the isolationists, and they won't say it. They bluster about isolationism, but what it really is, is they're betting on China. They're scared of China. They don't want to confront China. And so they're willing to tuck their tail and run from the world stage. But on the left, they actually willfully see the United States as a malevolent influence. And so they want the United States to tuck tail and run. But in both sides, it's tucking tail and running from the fight, running from the world stage. And Biden had to get us out of Afghanistan for his pride and arrogance and also to get us out of that part of the world so that we could not have a command and control position in that part of the world. And he needs us to have a deal with Iran to further destabilize our ability to conduct ourselves on the world stage. It breaks apart our trust in the Middle East. It realigns the world to a left-wing worldview that seeds the ground to China. Because after all, the United States is globally dominant. Well, you can't really fight climate change, can you? Because Republicans may take back over. You got to put somebody else in charge of the world. I, I Listen, I know some of you think this is crazy. But I really think that's what's going on here. The left views the United States as destabilizing, and the way to stabilize the world is for us to take a step back. Joe Biden tried that in Afghanistan, and what's happened? He provided They've provided a safe haven to Al-Qaeda. Iran is now making deals with Al-Qaeda, and the rest of the world questions our ability to commit on the world stage to do much of anything these days. This is what happened. And this is why Joe Biden's popularity is upside down and has been since then, because Americans realize Joe Biden really doesn't have the empathy he claimed and really doesn't have the smarts he claimed and really doesn't have the skill set he claimed he was qualified to use as president. He was exposed in Afghanistan and the American people have never forgotten. Phone number here, 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, always happy to have you. Assuming I can log into my call screening program. <laughs> uh, I will get to you if you're on the phones. Just be patient with me, please, because I really don't have a big segment here. Uh, and I got something that, that I, I really do want to talk to you about real quick. Um, you, you know how, um, well, we've got the feminist movement in America putting it politely. We got the feminist movement in America. The feminist movement in America has been very, very concerned about uh, the patriarchal society and how the patriarchal society overrides women, makes women irrelevant, and writes women out of history. And so for a long time, we've had this whole effort to um, highlight famous women in history. One of the most famous women in history, someone you've probably heard of, Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc was a woman who uh, led the French to military greatness. She is a Catholic saint. She was presumed to have some sort of visions or some such. Uh, she was ultimately executed. Uh, after being captured, betrayed, and captured. Um, there have been lots of skeptical accountings of her in Hollywood, lots of movies about her in Hollywood that maintained a level of skepticism of what she claimed uh, and that downplayed her in some degree or made her some sort of crazy person who was able to galvanize and, and uh, gain attraction by being a charismatically insane person. Well... There's going to be a new Joan of Arc play. And Joan of Arc, it'll be at Shakespeare's Globe Theater in London, of course. 
and Joan of Arc will be trans. We'll use the pronouns they and them. Now, I thought we were supposed to be highlighting famous women in history. Instead, what's happening with the trans movement is we're writing women out of history. No longer matters if you're a woman. They're they and them now. I was talking to a neighbor last night who said his daughter has gone to college and the daughter's roommate is a girl who prefers they, them pronouns, making it very hard to talk because you do they are, make it sound plural, or they is, which is bad grammar. Um, the whole of the English language having to be rewritten so the selfish self-identity crowd can self-identify however they please and defiance of, of history, grammar, and the like. But this trend, I think, is is bad, and this gets to something J.K. Rowling has said in the past about how um, you, we're, we're writing women out of history for less than 1% of the population to feel good about themselves, and that can't be healthy. Um, how is it that girls should look up to real female role models when we're no longer allowed to define what a female is? It doesn't make any sense. It's all part of the craziness in society. Joan of Arc, a real woman who really did exist and really did incredible things in history, is now going to be transgender, according to some play in London where she's going to use they, them pronouns to make a particular class of people feel good about themselves at the expense of history and female heroes in history. Really remarkable. Howdy. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I, I gotta I gotta play this for you. Charlie just sent it to me and then I want to take phone calls. The phone number is 877-973-7425. These are just too good not to play. And now, Deep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. And as always, Wakanda forever. That was Deep Thoughts <laughs> by Kamala Harris. Well done. Well done. All right. We got to go to the phones. 877-973-7425. Jeff, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. How are you? Did you say Jeff? I did. Hey, say, say you sound good, Eric. Uh, two things real quick. First of all, uh, Liberty came through for a client of mine. Uh, did a, a nice deal, and I think they're very happy with them. And I know it's always nice to hear back from your advertiser. So what oh, they're doing. Oh, fantastic. Good. Good, good. Yeah. And then the second thing is I'm hearing all these negative commercials on Herschel uh, about how he didn't work for Cobb County Police, et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of know how that's working, but can you explain that a little bit? Why is he? Why are they bringing those up or is it just BS? Yeah, so, okay, Herschel Walker had made some statements in the past that were more definitive than he should have about having worked in law enforcement, uh, and he didn't. And so they're essentially trying to cast doubt on Walker uh, and that you can't believe him. And essentially what it gets to, honestly, is the uh, soft on crime stuff and the defund the police stuff. They want to try to neutralize Walker 
on crime, law and order, and support for police because Raphael Warnock is actually pretty bad on those issues and has supported supported the defund effort in the past. Uh, so they got to go after Walker on this. But it has a lot to do with essentially highlighting you can't believe Herschel Walker as opposed to you can believe Raphael Warnock. Um, they clearly think this is a line of attack that will work in the suburbs. They're running this ad pretty aggressively throughout Georgia. Uh, there is a poll out, Phillips Academy, uh, and it has walker ahead now i would not put a lot of stock in this poll because they appear to be new they don't have a track record i don't know anything about them uh other than they're like a boarding school up at, for rich kids up in massachusetts or some such but that being said it's a poll that reflects a number of private polls i've seen where brian kemp and herschel walker are uh, that essentially walker and warnock appear to be tied and Kemp is just crushing it. And this, again, keep in mind, this is at a time where Republicans, especially in Georgia, tend to not poll as well against Democrats. Uh, this is a warning sign for the Democrats moving into November as they kind of obsess about abortion. Now, oh, one more thing on, on this particular issue. You know, the Democrats, Stacey Avers, making a big deal about abortion and the fetal heartbeat bill in Georgia and the like. Keep in mind, the fetal heartbeat bill was actually drafted in Georgia in 2019, and the author of that legislation in the state House of Representatives was in a district that voted for Stacey Abrams in 2018, voted for Joe Biden in 2020, and voted for him, the Republican. It's not like this issue is that persuasive, but it's the best they've got right now. It's the only thing they've got right now is to scare women about miscarriages and claiming they'll go to jail for having a miscarriage. That's the only real argument that they can push right now, which means they can't talk about crime. They can't talk about the economy. They can't talk about education. They can't talk about all the stuff voters actually care about right now. Back to the phones. Craig, you're going to be on the program next. Craig, welcome to the show. Hi, Mr. Erickson. I want to just compliment you on the articulation of Afghanistan. I have one comment and then one question. My comment is, this looks to be orchestrated like a three-dimensional chess game. And I think there are so many puzzle pieces and so many chess pieces being played by both the Republicans and the Democrats. Do you believe that if we get control of Congress, that we can stop this Titanic? Uh, I think to really stop a lot of it, you've got to have uh, control of the executive branch as well, because so much of what we do these days is done through executive agencies and the bureaucratic process. But what I do think the Republicans can do is they can investigate so much that it deters the executive branch from doing things. I actually think that when the Republicans get back uh, Congress, and I think they can take the House and the Senate. They'll definitely take the House. They can begin having so many investigative hearings that essentially they they drive off people like Merrick Garland, who just isn't going to want to be summoned to walk to the Capitol all the time for accountability, or or the various bureaucrats in Washington D.C. There are ways for the Republicans to investigate uh, that deter these people from continuing to serve, which is what I think they should do. You know, I would I would caution everyone, though. I, I really would caution everyone uh, to avoid the idea that there is some level of three-dimensional chess being going on. There certainly are strategists who try to direct the moves. But I really do think that Robert Conquest, the historian, 
was on it better than everyone else. He, he used to say, and he wrote, it's called his axiom, Robert Conquest, axiom of government. The behavior of any bureaucratic organization can best be understood by assuming that it is controlled by a secret cabal of its enemies. I got to know um, Donald Rumsfeld, the former Secretary of Defense. He one time sent me his uh, memo on, on NutraSuite after I criticized uh, the impact of NutraSuite. Hey, he was a, he was a very interesting guy. I really, really actually like the guy. Smart, one of the smartest people I've ever met. And he, of course, had been involved with the Warren Commission, among other things, and said that in his experience in government and his time in government, a lot of the conspiracies that are out there just aren't so because nobody in government can keep a secret. And most of the people in government just aren't that competent to be able to pull it off. Uh, but people are convinced that there are conspiracies and people are convinced that there's some master plan. And really, there's a bunch of bumbling idiots out there working at cross purposes that makes it look like there's some sort of ma master plan when there's not. Um, now, are there again, this is worth noting, there are people who come up with strategic frameworks and they think government needs to work X, Y, and Z. The problem is the voters. And the voters get in the way of this stuff. So one reason I'm a big advocate of this plan uh, that Donald Trump pushed, and I hope any Republican will advance it, to fire the bureaucrats. Fundamentally, our government needs to be purged of bureaucrats who have decided that they know best for us, and they're technocrats who want to flip the levers and pull the switches. Um, we need to purge those people from Washington. Uh, the idea that there is a bureaucratic class of technocrats that think they know better than the people, I think that absolutely is true and real. And it's one thing that the Republicans need to be mindful of because Republicans, by and large, being a group of people who believe in downsizing the federal government, uh, these bureaucratic flip switchers are opposed to that. And so they're opposed to Republicans. And so they're very willing to try to undermine Republicans at the bureaucratic level and drag their feet on implementation of the Republican agenda. So you got to fire these people. I, I, I have no hesitation in saying we need to fire these people. All right, back to the phones we go. Jim, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. How are you? Hey, Eric, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Hey, uh, my question really is uh, what can the average Joe or average Jim, in my case, do about or to affect change in this the massive lack of accountability um, really on every level? of government and it's being you know it, it's enabled by media that doesn't do uh what it claims that it does which is investigate things and report things unbiased it, it yeah. almost becomes overwhelming you know when i don't think the elections were rigged but i do think they are somebody would like to rig them oh and, and maybe be tampered gross with incompetence it. as well yeah, and if that if that happens, you know, I, I've with a lot of people that are in agreement. It's almost like, what do we do? Okay, so there are a couple of things. Gone let, let, let me start start at the bottom and, and work my way up to the top here. Just just sit back and listen to me here. Christopher Rufo is someone many of you probably know by now. He's he's kind of become of a person of note. He's been profiled now. He's the guy who really raised awareness about critical race theory in schools and the wokes. 
he's done a very good job raising awareness about the wokes. And as a result, he is advancing an agenda down to the local school board level and through various governmental entities at the state and federal level to stop critical theory being deployed in schools. Critical theory is not taught in schools. When the left says critical theory is not taught in schools, they're being honest. No one is teaching critical theory. What they're doing is they're teaching history through a critical theory lens. They're teaching English through a critical theory lens. Critical theory is not something you teach kids. Critical theory is a framework through which you process and teach all the other stuff. And he's given us voice, language, and rhetoric to be able to fight back on this sort of stuff. And school boards across America are changing. People are showing up. They're getting engaged. Parents are getting involved. Corey DeAngelis is doing the same thing for school choice in America, pushing Republicans. Georgia needs to be targeted by his national group. Republicans in Georgia need to fear voters and be pressured to push real school choice in Georgia. And I think he's going to bring the fight, and he should, and I will help him. The thing that all of these fights have in common and the successes they have in common is that uh, people didn't lose hope. They didn't give up. They showed up. They got involved. They got engaged. And the same thing with Washington, D.C., show up and vote. Show up and vote. Vote in primaries. Find good candidates. One thing you have to be careful of, though, is you've got to actually find good candidates. There are some real clunkers of candidates out there who aren't going to win when good candidates probably could win. But people would rather the crazy person who sounds and thinks just like them and says out loud the things they say as opposed to the reasonable person who doesn't scare voters who agrees with you but isn't willing to go out and and be a, a brain biblical donkey on stage. Voters tend not to like the brain biblical donkeys, if you know what I mean, with one exception. You got to stay engaged. But also there's something else, and, and you got to hear this too. You've also got to know when to unplug. A lot of the things that you and I obsess about here on this radio show are things that at the end of the day, they're not going to impact you immediately or ever. And a lot of people get so hung up on this stuff and what they feel like is the deterioration of the country from what they knew. And a lot of times there is deterioration, but oftentimes there's just change. And it's the change that makes us uncomfortable. But it's not change for the worst, it's just change. Yes, there are changes for the worst, don't get me wrong, but a lot of things that we we resent or are uh, hesitant about are just change in life, new people, new directions, new ideas. It's one of the things the bureaucrats hate about Republicans and the Republican change. I mean, a lot of what Donald Trump delivered was just pretty much rudimentary Republican policy, but delivered in a different way, in a different style, and they hated that change, and they pushed back against it, and they fought him on that. I mean, this is all part of the process of within the republic. And you've got to not let yourself despair, but just stay engaged where you can. And also, don't feel bad if you decide to unplug on occasion. If you're at this game, and listen, I have been in the past, 24-7, 365, it wears you out. It sucks your soul away. 
Because what really happens in Washington more than more or less is incremental movement in one direction or the other, and it swings back and forth. And it always, particularly in a post-Christian society, moves further and further away from where you and I want it to be, and that's just part of the wind down of things until the final day. If you know what I mean, let the reader or listener understand. But despair, despair when you've got yourself to despair, when you feel like nothing's going to change and nothing's going to work or, and only the bull in the china shop can work and the bull in the china shop can't do it, the bull in the china shop loses. Well, you've let yourself get to a point of despair and, and there's no real reason for you to despair because one, God's on the throne, but two, you have it within yourself at the local level to take care of you and your family. And nothing in Washington is really going to change that fact. It's on you to take care of yourself and your family and not Washington, D.C. to do it. And if you look at those who've decided it's Washington's place to do that, they're the ones with the families falling apart. And you and your family will pick up the pieces and your kids will one day be called boss by those kids. Just keep that in mind. Another thing you can do in all seriousness, although it is also an ad, is you can partner with groups like Patriot Mobile. Uh, where they're Christians, they're conservatives, they want your business, and they spend a portion of their profits on fighting for the conservative cause. So you amplify your giving to the conservative movement by taking your business to Patriot Mobile. Let's say you got the money for a cell phone company, but you don't have the money to give individual donations. Well, Patriot Mobile takes a portion of their profits that you've helped generate with your business and gives it to the Second Amendment cause, the pro-life cause, conservative groups around the country. Uh, they do it with some great accountability for the conservatives within the movement and they also give you guaranteed service. They're a really good group of Christian conservatives who are committed to fighting the cause and delivering a world-class product to you. You can get free activation with my name by going to patriotmobile.com slash eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can also call them. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation, and you get great discounts. You're a veteran, first responder, an NRA member, a teacher, a large family with a lot of lines in your house. Reach out to Patriot Mobile, patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Hello there. Welcome. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Well, you want something counterintuitive? This is very interesting. Very interesting. China has cut its interest rate. Now, why is that very interesting? Well, because everybody in the Western world is raising interest rates to try to wipe out inflation. China's economy is slowing down so rapidly that they've decided they've got to lower rates. Retail sales, industrial output, and investment all slowed and missed economist estimates in July. The surveyed jobless rate for those aged 16 to 24 climbed to 19.9%, a record high and headache for the Communist Party as it gears up for its major Congress in coming months. July's economic data is very alarming. Authorities need to deliver a full-fledged support from property to COVID policy in order to arrest further economic decline. The data suggests a crisis of confidence among Chinese businesses and households, adding another threat to the world economy. As global demand for everything from Apple iPhones to luxury goods take a knock. At the same time, a worsening property slump in China is being felt at home and abroad as commodity prices such as iron ore and copper plummet. People aren't buying houses. 
in China, cities continued to be under zero tolerance COVID protocol lockdowns. The property groups in China uh, made overextended themselves, made bad investments. They're starting to go under. This is kind of a big red flag out there, uh, and it's going to have some global impact. But part of this as well, keep in mind, is that uh, at times like this, with a high unemployment rate among the young, particularly young men in China, Chinese communist leadership typically does things to distract them from how bad they have it. They try to stir up nationalist fervor and sentiment. That could be bad for Taiwan and us. President Xi has to do something to distract the people from their misery at home. And the way he tends to do that is to saber rattle abroad. Maybe this time invade another country for the first time uh, and have us have to deal with it. And yet we have, well, we got Joe Biden. And I don't know that Joe Biden is capable of doing much these days, given his clearly falling mental condition.